Welcome back, and this is my final sermon before I leave on sabbatical. And I really do pray that this sermon, this video, finds you well. Uh, Begin, because this is now Friday. I don't know uh, what will transpire between now and the time you view this. I pray that it is uh, sunny skies and that the Lord is merciful to us, such that uh, these are all precautions. Uh, And if if they're not, then the Lord will be with us then as well. As I said, uh, I will be leaving on sabbatical. This is my last sermon. So the title of the sermon is Ahui Ho, Ahui Ho, until we meet again. That's essentially what Paul tells Timothy. Ahui Ho, do your best to come to me before winter. It's no accident that we are finishing 2 Timothy as I prepare to leave for three months. So not only is this Paul's, the apostle, his farewell portion to Timothy, this also functions as my pastoral farewell to you, KBC, my beloved Ohana. As I said, it saddens me that I'm not present with you in person. I greatly long to finish this series with you. We had a few factors that were, we were trying to juggle as we had to make this call. Do, do we proceed? Do we not? Uh, a few of those obviously was the hurricane and its path uh, to come in and hit Maui. Whether that transpires or not, again, I don't, I don't know. I pray it doesn't. But the other factor uh, is that I am currently sick. I am feeling under the weather. Uh, thank you. I love my beautiful children, and I contracted their little virus from them. Uh, I do not believe it is the coronavirus, and I have no reason to believe that. Um, But nonetheless, uh, not knowing how I would be on Sunday, not knowing how things would feel if I would get worse, it's it's at the beginning right now. And so uh, I just wanted to, to, by the grace of God, finish this series to you, not because somebody else couldn't do it, uh, but because I do miss you, and I will miss you, KBC. And so I wanted to try and do my very best to finish this out as a farewell to you. It was a weighty matter for us, though, and I hope all of you will be able to make it next week. Wes Higuchi is going to kick us off in the Psalms as uh, we are going to have men from the church filling the pulpit, able men, humble men, uh, godly men, faithful men, able to preach. And so they're going to be preaching. Wes Higuchi is going to kick us off in Psalms. And so I hope you are greatly encouraged. Wes always does a good job. Any of the men that will be up here, I would gladly, gladly sit under their preaching any time. And I will be listening to their preaching uh, online from afar. And so I look forward to that as well. These are tumultuous times, aren't they? They're painful times, and a day is coming when there will be no more sicknesses, no more hurricanes, no more face masks, no more social distancing, no more anything, no more sin or sorrow. A day is coming when nothing will hinder our gathering together ever again. But for now, we wait with eager longing. Not ruled by fear, but ruled by love for one another. And so, 
That day may it come quickly, and it is this longing, this eager desire to see one another, to gather with loved ones in the Lord that is in this section all over the place in Paul's letter here at the end of 2 Timothy. He mentions 17 people specifically by name. And we'll find many points of encouragement for us today in this list of 17. So let's pray and we'll get started. Father in heaven, you are kind to sustain us. You are kind to sustain me. I thank you for the work you have done here at Kahalui Baptist Church over the past seven years and beyond. And Father, I look forward to the work you will continue to do here in the future. So, Father, as I speak your word, I pray that in my weakness you would be made strong and shown strong. I pray that in my foolishness you would be shown wise. I pray that in my powerlessness that you would be shown powerful. And, Father, as we are separated this morning, I pray that your promise to be with us always, even to the end of the age, would land with great force and that your Holy Spirit would fill us with great love. Thank you for the privilege of shepherding this bride. And may you use your word, your powerful, God-breathed word to build your church to wash your bride, and to nourish your flock. I pray, Father, that you would sustain us through these times and that we would come out more like Christ, smelling more of the aroma of Christ, more holy, all to the praise and honor of Christ. And it's his name we pray. Amen. All right, I have three points this morning through which we will cover this section. Number one, forsaken. Number one, forsaken. Number two, faring well. Faring well. And number three, farewell. Farewell. So, number one, forsaken, verses 9 through 16a. As people are prone to do at the end of our lives or in a time of great hardship. We want to be surrounded by our families. We want to be surrounded by our loved ones. And Paul is no different in this regard. And so here he is uh, on death row, so to speak, a prisoner for the sake of the gospel in Rome. And having been deserted by many, or all, as he says, having sent some others off for strategic reasons, Paul now summons Timothy, his dear child in the faith, to come to him for last words and parting instructions. There are some, some conversations that you and I both know that you can't have over text message. There's, there's some talks that you can't have over email or in a letter even. There are some some conversations that, that require a face-to-face. -face. And so Paul longs to see Timothy for parting instructions and last words. He calls those loved ones around him in these last season, in this last leg of his race. He starts off in verse 9, mentioning 
to Timothy to do his best to come soon. He's going to say it again at the end. Do your best to come before winter in verse 21. And then he goes in verse 10 and he mentions Demas. So why, Timothy, should you come soon? For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas has deserted me. Now, who is Demas and why did he desert Paul or abandon Paul or forsake Paul? It says Demas was in love with this present world or this present age. Demas, in Colossians 4.14 and Philemon 24, we find Demas, uh, and he is a faithful worker with Paul. He is a, a fellow worker. Paul calls him a fellow worker, a fellow laborer in the gospel. Demas is with him, and he's doing ministry with Paul. And now here, at the end, he, Paul says, Demas forsook me. This is the last testimony of Demas. And so we need to ask a few questions because there's some, there's some conversation, or, or I don't want to say controversy, but conversation really over Demas. What actually happened to Demas? Did he abandon the faith? Sounds like it, in love with this present world or this present age. Is that what happened? Did Demas cave to the temptations of the age? Did he abandon the gospel like others had in this letter? It's one option. Or another option, did he merely choose to leave Paul rather than suffer martyrdom for the sake of the gospel, for missional reasons? You see, some would say Demas didn't forsake the faith. He just left Paul for missional reasons, for good reasons, they would say. Rather than suffer martyrdom, he wanted to do missional work. Why is this considered as an option? Because Paul mentions two other men right after this in the same vein, of which one of them is Titus. We know Titus, the book of Titus. He mentions them in the same vein, and yet nobody thinks that either of these two men deserted Paul. After all, Jesus did say in Matthew 10, 23, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. So is this what Demas chose, to exercise his prerogative to flee persecution? After all, Believers face the sword when it's required, but it isn't something we actively seek after either. And God never forbids us to take a way of escape when it is present before us. Indeed, this is what Paul and many other believers did in Acts. They fled from place to place as they were getting persecuted. Is this what Demas did? Did he leave Paul because he felt he had work to do in Thessalonica? just like the other two men in other cities and towns? Or is there a third option? A third option. Perhaps Demas didn't forsake the gospel entirely, but in the face of persecution and hardship, like Peter the apostle before him, when Jesus was on trial, denied his master three times, perhaps Demas had a lapse of courage and boldness. Perhaps Demas was seized with a temporary moment of cowardice. 
Rather than enduring suffering with Paul, Demas abandoned Paul in his hour of need. This option would explain that while the others left for other reasons, why the word of forsaken or abandonment would be used of Demas instead of the other two. This would explain Paul's words in verse 16. He says this, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. All deserted me at my first defense. And perhaps this captures why Paul has a tone of graciousness in verse 16b. Paul says, may it not be charged against them. May it not be charged against them. This would also make sense of Paul's mention of another man in this passage. Paul mentions somebody else we've all heard of at different times. In verse 11, Paul says, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark. You hear that? Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. So after mentioning these men and then saying, Luke alone is with me, he then mentions Mark. He says, get Mark. Bring him with you. He is very useful to me for ministry. This option would make sense of Paul's mention of Mark. See, Paul has learned through Mark and over the years of his ministry that somebody's first response may not be their last response. Somebody's first response may not be their last response. We all know how important first impressions are, but beloved, first impressions pale in importance to final, last words and legacy. First impressions ultimately give way to last actions. Now, what am I talking about? You remember Mark, right? You remember Mark, don't you? Ah, yes, the book of Acts. John Mark. Let me refresh your memory. We we first meet John Mark in the book of Acts. And John Mark famously is the reason why Paul the Apostle and Barnabas the Encourager split. He's at the very center of the controversy that resulted in a sharp disagreement, the Bible says, between Paul and Barnabas. We read about this in Acts 15. They go their separate ways. They have a difference, what we get to be a very robust dialogue or sharp difference and disagreement over Mark. Hear this, Acts 15, 36 to 40. Luke writes, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and, and see how they are. So here's Paul, right? Paul's like, hey, Barnabas, let's, let's go back to all the cities and, and see how the brothers are. Verse 37. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. You see? Paul thought best not to take with them this one, John Mark, who withdrew from them and not gone with them to the work. We get the idea he left because there was fear 
He left because they encountered hardship and persecution in Cyprus. He left. He abandoned them in that hour of need. Verse 39 says, And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Wow. Paul and Barnabas. Paul, the one who says, be patient with one another, forgive one another, bear with one another. Him and Barnabas just couldn't come to an agreement. It was a sharp disagreement. They separated. Barnabas, the text goes on, took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed. So, apparently, John Mark abandoned Paul once before. There's few offenses worse than abandoning your friends or your comrades in the heat of battle. There are a few things worse than cowardice and abandoning people in their hour of need in the midst of battle. And therefore, Paul was reluctant to take John Mark with him again. We even read Paul writing to the church in Colossae, in the book of Colossians, having given instructions to them about John Mark, probably imploring them to receive John Mark back because of his prior abandonment. This was no small ordeal. But we also learn that Barnabas and Mark were apparently cousins. So Barnabas, you can see, Barnabas the encourager, likely felt like, man, we should be gracious. We should give him another chance, Paul. And Paul disagreed, and thus they parted ways. See, travel in the ancient world wasn't as easy as, let me just buy a plane ticket on, on eBay, or not eBay, on Google, and let me just get a plane ticket and just jump back to wherever I came from. Let me catch a bus or call a, an Uber It's not that easy in the ancient world. Travel was very expensive and dangerous. And so for Mark to abandon them, Paul couldn't depend on him again. And so they parted ways. But now, many years later, in the providence of God, in his gracious working by his spirit, Paul not only accepted Mark back into the ministry, but asked for him specifically, saying, he is very useful to me for ministry. You see that? Praise God. What a beautiful picture of restoration, of what God can do in the life of his people. And so perhaps Paul learned through Mark not to be too hard on Demas, to be more gracious, and thus asked that it not be charged against him. I also think there's more going on for Paul here, personally. Due to the word usage, it just parallels Acts 8 too much, which is really Paul's own testimony, you remember. Paul, at the end of Acts 7, Stephen is stoned, and who's there? Saul, participating cheering on the active martyrdom of Stephen. And you remember what Stephen said? Just like Jesus of old, may this not be charged against them. Or like Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And now Paul, at the end of his life, about to be a martyr. No way he couldn't think of that first time that he participated in the death of a martyr 
now himself about to be martyred, saying, may it not be charged against them. What a beautiful picture. Whatever happened of Demas, whatever was ultimately going on here, we don't really know. We don't have enough information. It could be any one of those. But let me ask you something about Mark by way of application. I want you to think about right now somebody in your life, one person, one person in your life that at some point started in the faith and left, either left the faith and or left you. Think of somebody like that. Is there somebody in your mind? Hopefully it's not you. Is this you that comes to your mind? So let me ask you this about the marks in our life. Does your theology, does your practice, does our theology, KBC, does our practice allow for you to show grace to the marks in your life? Can you think of somebody like this? KBC, we don't give up on people. We don't write off people. We don't judge the arc of somebody's life by moments or decisions made in a moment. We don't pretend to know what God is going to do in the life of anybody. I encourage you, don't give up on those people. Don't stop praying for them. And if that's you, maybe you're the one that came to your mind. We're not going to give up on you either. God has a work for you and will receive you back. And you can, again, this can be written of you. You are useful. You are very useful for ministry. Beloved, let us not write off others. Sometimes God's work in the life of an individual can take a lifetime to express itself. And sadly, many Christians judge others by who they were in the past, by who they used to be, by what they did a long time ago. But beloved, remember, first impressions are not nearly as important as the last, how we finish the race. Pray that one day you'll say over those people as I do, I hope to see the day that we can see the marks that we know and say, bring them with you because they are very useful to me for ministry. And if that's you, it's not too late. He then goes on in verse 13 to make some incredible statements. Just think about this. You're, you're in jail. You're in ancient Rome. You're there. There's the, the jails are, are not like they are here. They're very, very different, very, very unpleasant places to be. They don't give you uh, jackets. They don't bring you these things that you need. They're not just out of the kindness of their heart. Let me treat you like a, a human being. No, they don't do that at all. What do you ask for? If you're writing to people, you depend on others to, to bring you different items that you may need. What do you ask for? Your toothbrush, maybe some uh, a blanket, pillow, change of clothes, some nice Charmin Ultra. What do you ask for? What did Paul ask for? 
verse 13. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troa, also the books, and above all, the parchments. So Paul asks for a cloak because he knows it's about to be winter and it's going to be cold. He asks for the books. Oh, if only we knew what these books were. Are these, are these early writings of, of Jesus, early traditions of Jesus handed down? Are these uh, bits of commentary on the Old Testament? We don't know. But then he says, and above all, the parchments, especially the parchments. See, these parchments were expensive. If you think ink is expensive today and you want to print stuff off, you think that's expensive, that's got nothing on parchments, animal skins, expensive processes to make them worthy or able to be written on. And Paul says, bring me especially the parchments. Above all, more than the cloak, more than the books, more than any of these things, bring me the parchments, Timothy. What is he talking about? See, on these parchments would have been written... Very special books, sacred texts. Most scholars believe these are portions of the Old Testament that Paul is asking for. Portions of the Word of God that Paul wants to have with him. Maybe even early Christian writings about Jesus. Above all, bring me the parchments. Beloved, when you are alone, when you are in a time of hardship, what do you ask for? Do you open up your, your phone and, and let, me, let me waste time on social media to, to pass the time? Let me, let me get on uh, and play Candy Crush or, or play whatever my favorite video game is. Or let me, let me watch Netflix and, and all these other things. What, what do you do? Beloved, in a time of hardship, I pray that the Lord would, through our fighter verses, through our time together, through our singing of the word, that... We would be people that in our hour of need, we say, above all, KBC, bring me the parchments. Bring them the parchments, the Word of God. And may we value it, treasure it, meditate on it. May it be a delight to our soul. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Paul knew that. And he asked for them. He goes on and he mentions Alexander the carpersmith in verse 14. Did me great harm. Did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. That word, did me harm. Uh, many think it alludes to that, that Alexander the coppersmith may have been an informant who outed Paul to the authorities. That maybe he was a, a, a snitch, so to speak. You have to remember, Christianity was not necessarily a legally state-sanctioned religion of that day. It was seen as a threat in the Roman Empire in this time, both by the Romans and by the Jews. And so many think Alexander outed Paul. He was an informant. Paul says that Alexander did him great harm. I can think over the years of my ministry, there are some Alexanders 
that I would say did me great harm. And of them, if they do not repent, perhaps, maybe, one is watching. If they do not repent, but I hope they do. If not, this is true. The Lord will repay them according to their deeds. The Lord will repay. Not me. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. That's what he says. And it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And Paul tells Timothy, beware of him yourself. KBC, at the very least, this means there are people around Christianity, around the church, that you should beware of. You should be vigilant of. You should watch out for. Not just, you know, a brother or sister who struggles, but, but actual people who do harm. This has been Paul's point throughout this whole time, that false teaching and others can spread like gangrene. This is a sickness that, that if not dealt with, can, can come and, and invade the entire system and overload it and destroy it. And it hurts. So KBC, be vigilant. Be vigilant because there are Alexanders around. Beware of them. That's forsaken, number one. Forsaken, number one. Number two, verse 16b picks up, faring well. Faring well. So although Paul had been forsaken, although all deserted him at first, he says, he has these wonderful words of encouragement that maybe you need this morning. I know I need them often. He says, at my first defense, nobody came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them, then verse 17. But the Lord stood by and strengthened me. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Again, you have to recall Stephen looked up the martyr and saw heaven open and he saw Jesus. What was he doing? Standing. And Paul here, about to face martyrdom, says, the Lord stood by me, and he strengthened me. What a beautiful promise, beloved, that when you're all alone, maybe you feel all alone today. When you're all alone, or you feel all alone, or you feel or it seems like you have been abandoned by those around you as the world is crushing in and laying accusations, or, or otherwise just there in the loneliness of your own mind as Satan the accuser is just there, beloved. What a beautiful source of comfort. The Lord is standing by, strengthening his people, such that you can say, the Lord stood with me. Though all forsook me, the Lord stood there. And it's also worth saying that sometimes God ordains these things so that we can see that Jesus alone is and always will be all we need. Sometimes the Lord does that to show us the sufficiency of Christ in new ways. The Lord stood by. And strengthen me. But why did he strengthen Paul? For what purpose, Paul? What did he do to strengthen you? And why would he do that, Paul says? 
This is a missional text, believe it or not, and we could spend all day talking about it. Here's what he says. So that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles or all the nations might hear it. Beloved, why was Paul strengthened in this time? So that before the the courts, before Caesar, before those whom he heard, that all the Gentiles might know about Jesus Christ. So that Paul could say, as he said in chapter 2, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain salvation that is in Christ. Beloved, this is why the Lord gives us strength. Not so that that temporary moment of loneliness can can go away from us and we can be a little bit more comfortable. Not so that, oh, I can maybe get invited to this thing or that thing or, or I got the support that I need and people are calling me to check on me. That's not ultimately why the Lord strengthens you. He strengthens you so that you can remain faithful, so that you can endure, so that you can proclaim the gospel, so that every nation, every tribe, and every language, your neighbor, your, your neighbor down the street, the one across the street, your coworker, so that all nations might hear the gospel message fully proclaimed, completely spoken. Beloved, this is why you're strengthened. And I pray that maybe as you hear this text and you think, man, the Lord does stand by me and he is strengthening me. He hasn't abandoned me. That now you'll know, ah, and he's strengthening me so that I can tell of his mercies to everybody, to everybody. And that many would come and know. And he says, verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. And bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. What a beautiful, confident poise and position of faith for Paul to end his letter on. The Lord will deliver me. Now that doesn't mean the Lord's going to get him off a death row. It doesn't mean he's going to send an angel again and intervene to break him out. It doesn't mean he's going to give him favor in the courts. Here's what it means. It means that God will not abandon Paul to death. It means that God, by faith in Christ, as a reward and inheritance of his faith, started by grace, sustained by grace, will be consummated by grace, that God will bring him into his heavenly kingdom as he promised. KBC, KBC, We must have this mindset. There are much worse things that can happen to us than death, than sickness, than the coronavirus, than Hurricane Douglas, than wars, than whoever's going to win the next presidential race. There's much worse things that can happen than any of those things. Like what, pastor? Like forsaking Jesus. Like seeing hardship and just throwing in the towel. Like turning from him. Like hopefully giving yourself, willfully giving yourself to sin. All of these things are far more dangerous than the coronavirus, than face masks and whether you inhale your own carbon or not. These things ultimately 
don't matter, ultimately. I'm not saying they don't matter at all. I'm just saying, ultimately, you have more dangers and more things to focus on. And so, we have this great promise. The Lord will deliver us from every evil deed, every evil deed, and bring us safely into his heavenly kingdom. What a tremendous peace this would have given Paul. What a tremendous boldness this would give Paul. If this is true, do I need to fear anything? Absolutely not. So Paul is faring well, even though he's been forsaken. He's faring well. Point number three, verses 19 to 22, farewell. Farewell. Paul goes through a list, and he's going to end out this list here. He opens it off with Prisca and Aquila. Prisca is a shorthand way of saying Priscilla. Priscilla and Aquila. This wife and husband team are are mentioned throughout the New Testament. Interestingly, she's often mentioned first, Priscilla and Aquila. In the ancient world, it was normally the male who would be introduced first. This is the man, this is the woman. But she was introduced first often. This probably means that she had a dominant persona. She was well-known. Perhaps she was very vocal. She was well-versed in the Scriptures as well. She was no fool. She even helped school and correct the mighty Apollos. She was well-versed in the Scriptures. I am thankful at KBC we have many women who are well-versed in the Scriptures and many more who are growing in them. Praise God. And we have many husband and wife teams who are serving the Lord like this husband and wife team. Paul mentions Priscilla and Aquila in Romans 16. He says that they risked their necks for his sake, for for his very life. Apparently, they even hosted a church in their house. And here they are, faithfully, serving with Timothy in Ephesus. No matter who their shepherd was, here they are, faithful and present. They didn't say, Paul, if you're gone, I'm gone too. They didn't say, if Timothy's going to take the helm, Paul, we're going to go wherever else. Nope. Here they are, faithfully in Ephesus, serving with Timothy. May the same be true of each of you, KBC. In my absence, I pray that like Priscilla and Aquila, that you'd be here faithful, serving, regardless of where I may be. He mentions a few others. The household of Onesiphorus. We already heard about Onesiphorus in chapter 1, verse 16. Onesiphorus refreshed me often. Onesiphorus was not ashamed of my chains. And so again, he greets the household of Onesiphorus. He tells Timothy about Erastus and Trophimus at Miletus. Verse 21, he implores him, do your best to come before winter, Timothy. Say, why before winter? Because, see, they would often have to go by land and by boat, and it was very dangerous in the winter to travel by boat. The seas were tumultuous. It was cold, and it was dangerous. So he says, do your best to come to me before winter. Now think about this. If I want to go to the mainland thousands of miles away, I'll jump on a plane and travel, be there in five hours, five and a half hours to L.A., eight hours to Dallas, maybe a little bit longer, 13 hours beyond that to the East Coast. Five layovers, maybe 15, 20. 
Beloved, in the ancient world, for Timothy to get from Ephesus to where Paul was, it would have taken him about anywhere between four to six months. This would be great expense. Timothy would be exposed to many dangers. And Paul says, come to me before winter. There is, it is worthy to take risks to be with the ones we love in Christ. It is a worthy endeavor even to give expense and time and discomfort and sacrifice to be with the ones we love. And I can't help but think perhaps maybe some of you, and I'll say this as gently as I can, perhaps some of you, maybe it's time for you to come at great risk, perhaps to yourself, to gather with the ones you love in Christ. Obviously, take every precaution, take every wise measure. But perhaps for some of you, not all of you, but some of you, maybe the Lord would lead you while I'm gone to say, hey, I think it's time to come back to church. I think it's time the coronavirus is here. There are things worse than death. Believers throughout all of history have exposed themselves to risk and death for the sake of gathering, even now around the world. Maybe some of you will say, I think it's time for me to come back and gather. I'll do so carefully. I'll do so safely. But it is important to gather with the people of God. Maybe that's true for some of you. Maybe not for all of you. But for some of you, that is true. Do your best to come before winter. And he says, the Lord be with your spirit. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. Before I close, I just want you to imagine briefly. Imagine briefly if Timothy made it before Paul died. Let's say Timothy makes it. He, he brings Mark with him because Paul asked for Mark. Luke is already there with him. He's got his parchments, his books, his coats, and they're all there gathered together. Paul, Timothy, Mark, Luke, and a few others. I want you to think about what would happen if all of these men were gathered together in one place at the end of their life. Think about that. Who, who am I talking about? Paul. What did Paul write? A lot of the New Testament. Luke. What did Luke write? The book of Luke and the book of Acts. Mark. John Mark. Many would attribute this to be the same Mark that accompanied Peter, whose source was Peter, and wrote the gospel according to Mark. If that's the case, and these three men are all gathered together at the end of Paul's life, we have maybe the first conference of pastors, and these men wrote more than half of the New Testament collectively. Wow. Here at the end of Paul's life, wouldn't you have loved to have been a fly on the wall there? Were these letters, were these traditions, were these notes as part of these books that Paul had that Mark or Luke would later find themselves into the Gospels? I, we don't know. I'd love to have been there. And that, indeed, would have been worthy of four to six months of travel and great expense so that the Gospel might be preserved and expanded throughout the ends of the earth. That's stunning to think about. Is that what happened? We don't know. We'll find out when we get to heaven. And the last closing thought 
17 people in this whole section mentioned by name. 17 people, some for better, some for worse. At the very least, what we could say of Paul the Apostle is that he was a man in community. Paul was known by many and knew many. Paul didn't think, even with all his revelation, even though he wrote the scriptures, he could say, I wrote the book. Paul didn't think that he had exceeded a level of spirituality where he did not need the ministry of the church. Paul never said, I love Jesus, but I don't need the church. My church is in the prison cell. Nope. In his last hour, Paul called for the church, for the ministry of the body of Christ. In his last hours, in his last letter, not only did he call for ministry, but he sent greetings to the churches. Greet the brothers in the household of Onesiphorus. Paul greeted the church, he called for the church, and indeed he poured his very life out for the sake of the church. Can we really claim to be New Testament Christians, to believe and follow the Bible and not do the same thing? Can we really say that I just believe the Bible and not do the same thing, pouring ourselves out for the sake of the church? I think not. And so, beloved, we all need, from this day even until your dying breath, you need the ministry of the body of Christ, which is to say you need Christ working through the body to sustain you and bring you to glory. I'm leaving, beloved. Paul says farewell. I say farewell. I send you my greetings. I send you my love. I give you my prayers. You will be missed, and I will do my very best to come to you before winter is over. You'll be in my heart. Even as I travel around, as I visit different churches, wherever the Lord takes us in this time, just know, for me, there is no place like home or our church home. We love you very much. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. God bless. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word from 2 Timothy. Do a work in this church that increasingly the voice of Christ would be primary, that in greater measure your word would be pervasive, that I would say like John the Baptist, I must decrease, he must increase. And would you make Christ increase greatly as the true shepherd, the true head of the church. Thank you for the work you're doing in other men. May you raise them up. May you be with the body. May we bear with many others. We pray for the John Marks. We pray for their repentance. We pray for the Alexanders. We pray for their life. Would you deliver them? And Father, we pray that your word above all the parchments would be sweet to us. Thank you, Father, for this time. Sustain your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Now is a time of response. You can respond in a few ways. 
First way you can respond if you need prayer for or about anything, I invite you to shoot me a text, a phone call, an email. I will do my best. I will pray for you, and I will do my best to get back to you. But I will definitely pray for you. Shoot us an email. Another way you can respond is through your corporate worship. Through your corporate worship. May you sing, and collectively, may we praise God together across the islands. Thank you. Farewell.